Today's reading is from John 20, verses 19 through 29. Jesus appears to the disciples. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas and the disciples. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the 12, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. As you figured out by now, today we are starting a brand new uh, sermon and worship series on cultivation. It's a sermon and stewardship series over the next few weeks. It's intended to be a visionary series, one that explores how our church, this family of faith can be the place where community is experienced. I think that we have a lack of community these days. There's an increased emphasis on personal achievement rather than group success. And I didn't actually think that was possible, but it seems to be getting worse with every minute that passes. We're more working more independently. Many of us now at home isolated from even those who we used to see on a daily basis. We're living more independently. We are in larger houses on larger lots rather than experiencing life within neighborhoods where our lives are more isolated and despite having innumerable ways to connect and to be together. And we spent the last five weeks exploring how we can deepen the relationships that we have with one another and with um, our friends and our neighbors and to increase our connectivity. But today we begin to consider how this place, how this space, this family of faith can be the place where the community happens, where it connects us to God and to one another and where that community is experienced. Now we chose this title very carefully. Each word particularly chosen, you can see it on the front of the bulletin. Cultivation, of course, being the first word. After resetting the table, now we're building on that and nurturing along what grows out of it, cultivating that rich soil that reset the table for our future. 
We're investing our time, our talent, our treasure in the growth, in the growth of our church, in the growth of our individual sense of spirituality, and in the growth of our impact that we can have on the world. The second word, creating. It doesn't happen by mistake or with effort. When you create something, it happens with focus, with focus-driven vision that the world needs something new. It is an act of God creation. And then intentional. We're not throwing spaghetti against the wall here and seeing what sticks. We're creating an intentional community that we seek, that we must be. The intentional and driven by that vision of God community that is inspired and created by those who engage in its creation. And then finally, the word community. Not just any community. We have community all over the place, but we're not the gym or the Y or a community center or a sporting event or a concert or even a family dinner. Our community is different because we are the capital B Beloved community, the beloved community that is created and nurtured intentionally by God. And one of the things that has existed throughout the history of this community that gathers is that the beloved community is marked by a gathering, by being together. And it's a privilege that's been made available to us through the presence of Christ with us. Beloved community is more than just gathering for the sake of gathering. It is marked, sealed, and blessed by God. We gather in all kinds of ways for all kinds of things, and those are intentional, but they're not the embodied expression of the love of God. When we gather like this in worship, we become the body of Christ. That's what it means when Jesus talks about the, the church as the body of Christ. We become the embodied love of God that expresses a particular vision for the world and for the world to come. And as, as I said, we live in this age of hyper-connectivity. Our family and our friends and our strangers are available at the tap of our device. And yet, our community at large is more fragmented than ever. And into that reality, boldly steps the church, our church, the creator of true, authentic, and intentional community that gathers around the truth of God's love and God's grace. This is why we can be a beacon for the world, whether it's across the street or across the globe, because we are called here together by God into community to create community, to be intentional about how we reach out into our surrounding communities so that we can be healers and visionaries and proclaimers of another and new way, that life doesn't have to be empty, that we don't have to work for the glory of the world because that will never fulfill us. Instead, we work together for a greater good, for the good of the vision of God, the vision that God has for this world that longs to be whole, to be put back together, to be healed, and to be saved from itself. And hasn't this week really shown us the value of this, of the need in a world for, in this world, for a place that proclaims hope in the light of the hopeless, light in the darkness, good in the face of evil, we have been bombarded. We have been hit in the gut with the worst of humanity. And not just hatred, but hatred and evil embodied in terror, 
in heinous acts of something even worse than war, with images that I can't get out of my head, with stories and pain that cut too deep for us to bear. This is the world in which we are called to create community? How? How are we supposed to be the beloved community of God that is marked by the seal of the divine when the world around us seems to be collapsing? If you read yesterday's email about today's worship, you read a quote from a theologian named Eberhard Arnold. It went like this. Everywhere the world is going to pieces. It is crumbling and rotting away. It is going through a process of disintegration. It is dying. It sounds like our world. But this was written by a man who died in 1935. These words are from 100 years ago. Not much has changed. He goes on to say this. And then in these fearsome times, through the Holy Spirit, Christ places the city church with its unconditional unity right into the world. The only help for the world is to have a place of gathering, to have people whose will, undivided and free of doubt, is bent on others gathering in unity. The church, us. We step into this unique void that longs for community, longs for unity. And so how are we supposed to be the beloved community of God? We're able to be so because we have to be. It is our purpose. It is why we stand up to evil wherever evil rears its ugly head. We stand on the side of suffering wherever that suffering is. That is our call. And we do it together. We do it as gathered people, community, beloved of God. You see this gathering, this, this is what we do. This is how we stand up to the pain, to the hurt, to the evil. We remind ourselves of who we are, of why we are here, of why we're gathered in this holy space. And we find the foundation for being able to face the world. We gather. It's what we do whenever tragedy comes. We do it at funerals. It's why we sit shiva and go to wakes. It's why we go to protests and to rallies. It's how we process our pain. We do it together. We gather in a sacred space and we call out. We lament to God. This is how we create intentional community for ourselves and for others. On Tuesday, uh, a couple of days ago, I was invited to stand on the bima of Temple Emmanuel to read a prayer for peace in unison with all the other faith leaders of Westfield. We gathered as Catholic, Jewish, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Methodist, and myself. And together we read this prayer for peace, and it was powerful. It was powerful for our voices to join together. But I realized that the last time I stood on that bima, was almost exactly 22 years ago to the day, four days after the 9-11 attacks on our own country. I was invited as a young adult member of this community to participate in a service of unity. And that was the space that held the most people because thousands showed up. And I was struck in retrospect of the solemnity of both of those moments, of the parallels, of the deep pain, of the tragedy, and of the comfort that came from being together and hearing a word of hope in light of what we were all experiencing. And our Bible story today might seem like strange timing to speak into this context, 
because typically it comes right after the um, Sunday after Easter. It's always Doubting Thomas Sunday, that Sunday that comes after Easter. But the context of our reading for today is actually tragedy. You see, for us, we sit and hear it in the post-Easter glow. It's about the conquering and risen Christ, appearing to the disciples and declaring eternal words about faith beyond sight. But in the context of the Bible and in the disciples' experience, the story starts on the very night of Jesus' resurrection, on Easter Sunday. Their leader, Jesus, has been killed just a couple days before. And now they're hearing reports that his body was stolen, or perhaps that he was resurrected from the dead. He said that, but how is that possibly true? That's what's going through their minds as they gather. We know the end of the story, but they don't. They're in the midst of the most terrifying and terrible situation that they have ever encountered. Because Jesus was gone, and now the authorities were out to get them too. And yet, what are they doing? It's easy to focus on the miracle that happens, of Jesus moving through locked doors to be with them, to reassure them. But what were they doing? They were gathering. They were gathering as the beloved, as the ones who had a message to tell the world. Yet they're huddled together as a community of terrified followers of Christ. And into this, Jesus walks through locked doors to reassure them of who and whose they are. Not once, but twice. It is remarkable that Jesus came to be among them. And this is why the beloved community of God is set apart from all the other ways that we gather that might be blessed by God, but is not the beloved community of God. Jesus walks through the locked doors of our buildings and of our hearts to be with us in our fear, to be with us in our tragedy, in our sadness, and in our pain. That is why this gathering is marked by sacredness. You've heard the Bible verse where two or three are gathered in his name. He is there. He says it in the first person. I am there. When we are gathered in the name of God, Christ is there. Because we become the embodiment of Christ, the body of Christ, of hope of and for the world. And it gives us our identity. This is what gives us our call, our mission, to go out into the world recharged and refocused on our mission to bring the world together in the name of God's love. It shows the world what true community looks like. Friends, it is no secret that our world is broken. It is scary. It is filled with evil. It is filled with the worst of humanity. But it is also filled with the presence of God in Jesus Christ. Gathering together, and cultivating this intentional community starts to put that world back together. It puts us back together so that we can do the same for others and for the world so that we can be the ones by which Jesus' presence enters other locked rooms of scared people who want to be reassured that the goodness and the light and the life that is possible when we gather in this intentional community. So be intentional about your gathering where you do, why you do, and with whom you do. Community is messy. It is made up of human beings who don't always get it right. But that is why it is so beautiful when we enter into it fully. We get a glimpse of the divine. Experience God. And we get a sense of the way that God intends things to be. 
So be a part of this vision, of this journey, this beloved community into which you are called as a beloved child of God, a beacon of hope for the world.